ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. hour when my music starts as i start recording so i'm on with the staff of well some of the staff of dr long range concepts uh and we're gonna kind of do a post class like we did with the peanut squad and, and talk about long range shooting um you know part one of this is going to be this you know the squad talking about the course and how that affected their outlook on their seasons coming up i know it pushed me into my first rifle tag and i don't know it's had to be six seven eight years somewhere in that realm so i want to start off with uh a thank you to you guys for joining me and uh yeah here we go dr long range staff and we'll start off ladies first denise if you would hi I'm Denise White. I'm glad to be here to spend some time with Guy and our wonderful instructor. So I'm just excited to get this going. Recording in progress. And as we see it on my screen, I'm going to jump into uh, Mr. Deathridge. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brian Deathridge. Uh, yeah, man, this this class from the, uh, the guys that were there obviously had a just a major impact on me. Not one that I saw coming and up until the point that it was my time to talk. I mean, I don't know, man, I looked over at Tate and, and uh, something just drops and I still can't, can't explain what happened that afternoon or just over the weekend, but I've just been trying to process it. And, uh, just the group that, you know, you, you brought out and, uh, just the experience of the weekend, man, it's, it was great. Yeah, I wasn't even going to bring that up, but I'll tell you what, man, it still warms my heart. <laughs> we talked about that in depth, man, on that episode that we did. That was uh, that was phenomenal. Um, so, Trent, 
unfortunately, uh, we missed Trent during the class. Uh, man, you know, sorry to hear about your loss. Wish you were there, but super happy to have you on this episode with us, man. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Uh, Trent Anderson um, did make, sounds like I missed church. And uh, y'all had some great moments. So, uh, yeah, I was uh, away, but I have no doubt that there were some amazing, amazing uh, moments and probably going to turn a lot of people loose when it's all said and done. It sounds like picking up momentum. Yes, sir. And last but not least. Yes, sir. So, Guy, we truly appreciate everything you have done up to this point and in the future. You're you're moving and shaking, and you're you're doing it for the right reason. And and when I look in your eyes and you look in my eyes, I, we we see that. So, I, I truly appreciate your friendship, and I appreciate you you building this. You're just bringing up. You're you're giving a platform for a community to to just network and and. Uh, um, just like we were talking about your weekend in Durango, networking with really good family, like-minded individuals, you know? Um, so anyway, I, I will tell you the weekend for me, um, I, my hats off to the entire crew um, and, and uh, the peanut crew and, and our staff too. You know, I, I, I give them a, a ton of credit um, as well. And um, not publicly, usually, you know, there's a couple of times in, in a class where I will, but, um, and I think, you know, we do that for a reason too. We, um, we focus on the student, mm-hmm. student success is number one. And then at the end, we'll thank the staff for their many, many, many hours uh, that they put in before and after. Um, and, and I'm incredibly grateful for each one of them and the part they play. Uh, we miss Trent. Um, and, and we talked about it during that during that class in the intro. <clears throat> you, the whole class, was kind enough to send him a card. They all signed it um, when he when he had that loss in his family, and that meant the world to me. I know it did to him as well. So um, anyway, yeah, it, we're, it absolutely we're, did. Not, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I I didn't mean to to skip over that. I just. I wasn't sure where to kind of jump in through this whole conversation. So, cause I wasn't in at that class, but guys, I tell you, um, the support and, and the prayers and, and just the thoughts in general, um, boy, it carried me through on a couple deals and, and that was one of them. And I appreciate it that it's a heck of a family that they put together and, and continue to build on, but, uh, it meant, it meant a bunch. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. That I mean, you know, Ron, you brought it up, and uh, since we're talking about that, right? I mean, I mean, what do we, what do we have if we don't have like-minded people in a community, right? I mean, what do we have? And and, and in this day and age, and I, I hate sounding saying that, but these grays, you know, I'm, it signifies something. <laughs> but in this day and age, I mean, it, it's it's lacking, man. And if if we don't, each of us do something to better how we see it, or 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 do it, you know because of a vision we have i mean we're we're at a loss right and and little dudes like diego what are they going to have to look at or look up to if we're not if we're not building this and we're not making everybody a part of it right um so i appreciate you guys saying that and trent man it was it was uh sad to miss you man but we were you know we were more than happy and honored to do so man and be able to pass that you know on to you and i know everybody was uh was heartfelt about whatever was written in that card 
some good people that uh, were involved in that entire weekend across the board. Staff and otherwise, right? 100%. So so long range, right? And and Ron and I, and I've said this before, Ron and I talked – Ooh, man, it seems like it's been two, two and a half years ago, you know, and started talking LR and I've had some interest and, you know, we put this thing together a while ago and then the whole Coco 19 thing kind of thwarted that effort. Um, but it, it actually was a good thing, right? There, there was some good that came out of it because we were able to take something where we thought we were going to have one person win this giant prize package, right? And Ron and I talked and I said, Hey man, with all that's going on and this breakdown of, uh, society and uh, as as we know it and people were struggling and uh we decided that hey we're gonna break this stuff up and and make it inclusive and just try and brighten some days and you know help people get through a little bit with you know with the lives they were they were pretty fun um i don't know how we do that again everybody says oh you guys should do those lives again and i'm like no one understands the amount of effort (laughs) that 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 took and the amount of whiskey to get me through some of those (laughs) it was uh it was pretty fun but i i think i think that impact i i mean it just you know it it carried over it was a year and a half later man and it carried over into this class right i don't think anybody forgot a moment of what that was about and the time that was shared on those things and the good times we were having through all that mess so i i appreciate you guys for being a part of that um and I started to talk about LR, but that's, you know, that's where it took me. Um, cause I'd, I'd be remiss without saying that. So proud to be a part of it, brother. Yeah, it was, uh, it was something else, man. To see it come to fruition like that was, uh, it was impressive. Right. But, and then I, I Brian brought it up. I wasn't going to bring it up, but man, when, when brother, when you, when you did what you did, that, that was everything for me that made the lives worth it. That made the travel worth it. That made everything that we went through to that, it, that solidified absolutely every moment of wanting to have an impact and build community. Right. Cause that was the, when, when did we meet you Friday morning? And by Sunday, that yeah. was the response. That's it for me. Like, you know, Ron said it, like building community and have an impact. That was it, man. So whatever the impact was and whatever and whenever you figure it out, man, thank you from the bottom of my heart, because it, it really made it worth it for me when I saw that. Um, and it wasn't about, you know, oh, look at the big guy. You know what I'm saying? It was just right. that's what it was. That moment, that's what it was about. We were in the right place at the right time to experience that with him, whatever that came through as, you know, it was it was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it was that was great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get a little that, that, oh, that final ahead, feedback. One last thing on that final feedback as we went around, you know, I mean, for me, I'll speak for me. I mean, I think it was just an overwhelming moment of the entire experience for everyone. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, for me, that's, that's, that's what that was. Um, and, and it was overwhelming, you know, we, we saw, um, you know, as it went around, some, some guys get choked up talking about their weekend you know and we say it in those other uh from the from the get-go the seven o'clock on friday morning 7 a.m we talk about it in the intro 
um, how important it is that you guys are comfortable immediately and there's no ego. Uh, you will not experience ego within our staff. You'll experience confidence and you'll see that they want you to be successful. And then in the end, looking back over the, the, the incredible time we spent with, with every single individual um, and Mike bringing Kenzie up, um, you know, Diego, Tate and, you know, Carrie and, and Drew and Trevor and Sil and everybody. It, um, just overwhelming. It, it was great. And that's the way it should be. We get out there and we get gritty and then we're, we're okay being a little vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't, I'm oh, sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I don't no, want to leave fine. out. I don't want to leave out Stephen and Kale, right? I mean, they're they're like honoraries and that sure. whole thing, and For they sure. were kind of you guys drug them into that un, unwilling. They did awesome. <laughs> and they did awesome. But but you know to go back to what you were saying though, in, in terms of that weekend being full circle, to understand what they were sharing as a father and son, right? Amongst mm-hmm. everything else that was going on in that group of folks, right? To understand and hear their story. That that's another one, man. It was like, you know, we pitching and just yeah. knocking them out the park, man, the whole time. I was like, damn, how do how do we do this all the time, Ron? <laughs> yeah. how, how do we do this all the time, right? Because you 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 get in there and and yeah, you're you're doing something you're accomplishing, but then man, going, you know, pulling the ego out of it and 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 just being vulnerable and letting it letting it do its thing. That was man, that was so powerful. Uh I, I think investing. Hold on, Ron. I think investing as adults to adults is so important. You know, we had a student one time that said we invest as adults to young children and and the younger generations beneath us, but we tend to not invest in each other um, emotionally and and besides learning a trait. And I think that if we would just do that as much as we can in in every business that we do then we're just going to be that more successful in, in making somebody feel special. I mean, I, it, it was such an awesome weekend for all of us um, to get to know everybody. It was, it was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it was amazing. Okay. Yeah, and, and the one, the one word, just to finalize that, the one word that comes to mind guy is real. That's a real weekend. Yeah. That's what it's going to be like here. That's how it starts every single time. You cannot predict what's going to happen. And I told you this from the get go before the class and during the intro, one of us mentioned it. I'm certain during the intro, we can't predict what's going to happen that weekend, but something happens out there and it's more than shooting. Right. And I think it, I think it's, you know, and it's divine intervention. I don't know what it is, but I'm grateful for it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful yeah. for the people. Yeah, so. you you hear that and you don't understand it, and then you get you know you get through qual and you're you're sitting there in graduation and what man it just comes full circle, and mm-hmm. and that and it, it resonates in your head at that point, right? Because you don't think about it the whole weekend, and then it boom, it smacks you in the face, and you're like, yeah, Ron said it. Right. It's it's kind <laughs> of like you're on the you're on the outside looking in um, when it comes to feedback session, right? <laughs> but through that whole week weekend, what three days? you're kind of immersed into it and you know it's like you said it's vulnerable you're putting yourself out there um but you have to you have to put yourself out there to get something out of it Mm -hmm. so if you're not willing to do that sure i'm sure there's guys that come through and they can fake it uh but they don't get as much out of it because they've 
They're not really trying to learn it. And in order to learn it, you have to check out and focus on the task at hand, regardless of how bad you may or not, may not be shooting, right? So Absolutely. You got to leave what you think you know or thought you knew. <laughs> it don't even right. it it does it stays in the truck or right. stays at the hotel or wherever you know that uh it was out the window and i think that that lent itself in part at least in my humble opinion to the success of that class is you know at at you know there was a little bit there and then it just kind of went away and then you really saw it to, you know clicking and the amazing thing right. is to see for me to understand where everybody was at in terms of ability and mindset and then to see them progress so rapidly through the weekend mm -hmm. that is i mean is is just amazing now now do you guys experience that in every class that way i mean that was just absolutely crazy yeah. to me yeah that's absolutely not every not every class has the same movement but it, it doesn't matter the experience they come in with it doesn't at all we just start out just like we did your class. Everything we did in your class was a real LR1. That's it. That's who we are. That's why it's important. And I've, I've said this a thousand times to you. It's important for you to see who we are. There we mm -hmm. are. That's it. There's no fluff. That is it. And I'm grateful you guys came and saw it. And, and uh, I'm grateful for our friendship more than anything. Me too, brother. For sure. So, and I think, oh, what, sorry, Denise. I think, oh, just, I'll, I'll, real quick and I'll stop. So I think what leads to some of that is, you know, Ron is, is the, he's the head guy. Um, and what he is so, what's so cool about him, and I can sit back watching him over these years, is he wants Brian and Trent and Zach's and when Hunter's involved and Tom, he wants their input just like on qual day usually the guys are running the qual and ron's just kind of you know stepping in where he needs to step in but he their their feedback is so important to him that's what really makes our team what it is it's not him leading he has to look at the overview but if it wasn't for their feedback and their input and their hundred percent um, we wouldn't be where we are today. That was, you, you bring that up. And that was one of the things that, that the squad and I had talked about um, when we did our episode was, you know, Ron had said it, Hey, I'm going to be, these guys are going to be inputting and we're going to listen to that input throughout the course. Nobody kind of has that, you know, the one man doesn't have the say, so to speak. Right. And, and that was huge for everyone. And I, and we all appreciated that greatly. Right. If, you know, if you guys, if it was Brian behind a spot and I had Denise in one ear, you know, Ron threatening paracord on my thumb and another. Um, but I think that was a, a, a huge thing for us to see that there's no egos with you guys. And I'm going to just lend it to kind of letting it all down. I think that's part of it. And the dynamic that you guys have as instructors out there, was phenomenal, right? And and Ron knows me. And if I see it, I'm gonna call it and I expect You call it like you see it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's and that was the dynamic with everyone. And it was just it was awesome. It was awesome. It wasn't like anything I've ever experienced in any other course that I've done. Uh which has that just means been a couple the world. Yeah. It was coming uh, from you and the squad, it means the world, yeah, truly. It was awesome. It really does. So we'll get, uh, I'm going to try and get Brian sentimental a little bit later here, but uh, <laughs> so let's talk about, let's talk about DR. Let's get the history behind DR, um, where DI, DR started, but also where the long range aspect started and get a little history there. Sure. So uh, 
Long Range started as a 13-year-old kid in northwest Oklahoma near the Panhandle and a miss on a pretty decent uh, white-tailed buck around 350 yards with a 44 Magnum Ruger Deer Stalker, I think it's called, semi-automatic. I was plugging away at this buck, and um, my dad laid him down with a 7 Mag, and I went back, told my grandpa that story, and... Um, he pulled out a Remington 700 ADL, uh, wooden stock. Um, and he, he said, I'm going to wield this to you right now. Let's trade. Let's trade those guns. It was just a trade, you know, he wheeled them both to me later. But anyway, that started out long range for me and he started teaching me. And then, you know, with Brian and, and the guys at the, at the base, even before we went to sniper school, we were shooting in the rifle team, combat rifle, and then NRA high power. Uh, learning wind and and then finally we got our slots to sniper school and went and uh, started instructing dr long range and i'm, I'm going to be super quick on all that dr long range was i retired in 2011 september the 26th 2011 uh, after 20 and some odd years um i retired and just before i retired probably two months before I taught my first civilian class um, out in Huntsville, Arkansas at that time. Had a friend out there with some land and and uh, we had steel targets and you know I was buying steel targets left and right and um, I had to keep doing it. I had to keep teaching. And uh, for me, it is my therapy. I mean, that's what i need i need to be there's two parts to that and you know this being there one part is being there with brian trent zach hunter tom and denise um with being there with my that's that's my best friends in the world right there i mean i trust them with my life and my wife everything um so that and then grinding it out with those students on the line and figuring out whatever issues that are compounded you know, if a, if a scope breaks, we're going to figure it out. You know, we're going to continue to move forward. I think that's healthy for me personally. And then along the way, um, you know, um, I reached out to, to these individuals and invited them to become uh, instructor trainees, Trent and Zach. And, and of course, Brian and I were in the military together. Uh, we shot sniper comps together. Um, and, uh, we went to Iraq together on the same sniper team. I mean, we're brothers. So um, had him come along and, and uh, I'm super grateful for that. And that's who we are. We're not, uh, DR long range concept is not about one person or two people. It's about the crew. It takes the crew. Um, that's where the whole heart is and the engine behind DR. And you've seen that. Um, each instructor has something to give. At, at the appropriate time. And then each instructor knows to back out when it's time. To bounce in, say one little tune-up, maybe one little coaching strategy, and then bounce out. And let the team start to grow. And, and hey, we're always learning. We're lifelong learners. And for anyone that says they've already mastered the win, uh, in my book, that, you know, I, I think they need to, they need to check the ego at the door <laughs> my lifelong mission is to master win 
and it's a lifelong mission. I may master it on one range, but I come out here to Buena Vista and I'm looking at across the there's a valley here and I'm imagining how water would flow. Um, you get that now. I told you it was kind of a life changer. Um, these classes can be, um, you know, you, everywhere you go, you're ranging distances now. I guarantee you, you are. And you're feeling the wind at all times. You know, so anyway, the wind, the wind part of it for me, not saying that, you know, looking through the spotter down range at the wind, but, but, you know, feeling that wind and the play on my neck, that's just part of my game, right? That, that is one of the things that are, Archery. you know, it's one of my building blocks in my hunting pursuits is that win. Um, so I feel like it was a little bit, that part I wasn't intimidated by, right? Now, laying down at 1,000, 1,200 yards the first time, that's an intimidating mess. Or standing next to Brian going, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Big imposing SOB. So, okay, so when you were talking about the wind, you know, Brian started uh, nodding his head and shaking his head there. So, in my opinion, win wins the game, Brian. Um, what are the what are the biggest factors when you're looking down range um, for p- folks that are listening that have been thinking about long range that haven't even considered? Because what we hear is, oh, six five Creedmoor, that's your long range round, or seven mil rim mag, that's your round. But nobody says, hey, you better know how to play the wind down there. You know that that round doesn't matter. So give us some on the wind, man. Yeah, I mean. You know, since we've been doing this, we've heard it throughout the years, what has the largest effect on the wind at the shooter, midpoint, or downrange. And, uh, you know, we try to try to give it out that it all has an effect on the wind. But when, whenever you're looking at it, maybe one day you don't see mirage. So now you're having to go off what you feel at the shooter when you're looking at trees, you're looking at grass. It's just all encompassing. And even at that point, it's still your best educated guess. Uh, Ron and I might be standing right beside each other. I say it's a five mile an hour wind. He says it's a seven. I'm saying it's a half value or 45 degrees, you know, and he's saying, ah, I think it's more of a third. So, I mean, it's, it's just your best guess. And then two seconds later, it shifts. Maybe I see the shift. Maybe Ron doesn't see the shift. And uh, yeah, that's why it takes a lifetime. And I've had an opportunity to work with some guys that were just phenomenal at calling wind. And, um, I turn around and look at this cat like I'm not seeing that and then he said you know just shoot it you shoot it and it hits where they say but that's that's why we always have to be humble and continue to learn that process and uh yeah just just keep keep working at it and keep learning yeah that wind is something else I, I remember asking you questions right as we're going we got over to uh to Opie and you know I'm looking across that valley and I think we were I think we were going uh, to the brown buck. And I, no, it was the buffalo. It was a small buffalo. So that was a 10-10 on the yardage. So yep. I'm looking at that, right? And I and I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, there's no mirage. I'm not seeing mirage down there. The grass, because the grass was a telltale for me on a lot of it, right? If the top was just moving, I kind of had an idea. If that was, you know, if it was bending the stock, I was like, okay, this is where we're at. I'm looking down there. I don't see anything, right? And then I see a butterfly, and I'm looking at this butterfly and and I remember seeing him fight his way to the right. And then I saw it kind of turn around and it just coasted really fast to the left. And I'm like, okay, there's my win. Well, then I started and I, and I have a tendency to overthink, but then I started thinking, okay, with 
with my spin, right? As I go down range, I'm going to start moving over. Now with this value at a thousand yards. So you're trying to put all this stuff together. Um, and I was trying to understand how much, you know, spin I was going to have at a thousand yards. And Brian was like, ah, it's not even enough to worry about. And, you know, you, like you said, it's just kind of trust. You almost have to trust your gut on the call. Right. And I think there's a point where you can, you know, like Ron said earlier, you can figure it out, but it's, it's only good at that range. It's not going to be good, you know, on a range that's a mile away. It's going to change on you. And that was, that was something else. I think out of the entire class, that's what I enjoyed the most was, was being a spotter and, and making those calls. Um, that was fun. That was a whole heck of a lot of fun. And usually when you're at the range, you want to just send lit, right? You're not really thinking about sitting behind somebody and enjoying that. You want to be back there pulling a trigger. But I enjoyed the the living bejesus out of that. Um, I figured you would. Yeah, that was and something about that 10-10 target, just for an example, that target is about the same height we are. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about this in the class, but so here we are over here. Big valley beneath, and then there's the target about the same height we are. We know it's sloping terrain in front of that target, and it's sloping terrain in front of us, and then dead space. You're not going to have any mirage unless you have grass or, you know, some sort of a heat producer um, giving you mirage. So when you're looking um, through with binos or a spotting scope across a canyon, there's no mirage. Um, so the mirage you see is on the other side. It's where the grass and, and uh, um, you know, evergreen tree tops or whatever are um, that heat's baking off the top of it. So anyway, that it, that's where, it, you know, gut instinct starts to happen. And, and to me, I hate to say guess. It's a guess in the beginning. But then you remember how when you guys turn around to us looking for us to give you input, we're like, use your gut. (laughs) Use your gut instinct. We do that. The first two you own, because that's how you build gut instinct. Dirt time. You know, you build it from dirt time. We've talked about that several Mm -hmm. times. But anyway, a little nugget there on, on when. So I'm going to let's bounce. Let's bounce off a of dirt time real quick. Right. Because that that goes that plays into the wind aspect of it. So, Trent, why don't you take that one, man? The benefits of, of having that dirt time and, you know, three days is a short period of time. Right. And learning that wind in three days, um, you know, and, and why dirt time is so important because nobody wants to hit the dirt until you see the value in it. So you caught me. My AirPods uh, died. The battery died. My wife had to get my my other uh, corded you plug in headphones. So I, I didn't hear what you said okay. um, for about thirty seconds. Let me take that. a deep breath and say it again. <laughs> yeah, so so Ron, we, we've been talking about the win, and then Ron brought up the dirt time. And what I said is, you know, let's talk about that a little bit and why the dirt time is so valuable in in learning the wind. Um, and, and because nobody wants to go into the class and miss it. You don't want to miss the target, right? Because you got all these people looking at you. You want to hear that ting, that sing from the steel every time. But the dirt time is invaluable when it comes to to those wind calls. I think initially, most people just want to hear the impact, right? So once they hit impact, they feel good about it. Well, they're not necessarily doing the math in the beginning to see what it would be to correct your center. Now, we teach that and we try to reinforce it. But I think it's it's real easy just to be, to be happy with hitting steel. Um, it's really when 
when the breakdown in either communication, the breakdown in the fundamentals, or the breakdown in, you know, like reading environmentals, uh, where you have misses and you're trying to figure out how to get back on target. That's where the learning comes. And, and again, it, it forces people to expose the weaknesses and, and put themselves out there and be vulnerable um, with no judgment, but, but it's hard for people to do that and, and really get to where you're starting to retain a lot of information. Um, right on. But I'll tell you, we see it time and time again. Um, the guys that, that really, you know, go and, and, and have a breakdown and it, it may be for, you know, a, a couple of hours, but it, it's the best thing for them. And they, they'll self-correct. And the next day, they'll be they'll be shooters every single time. Right. What, I, what I'd like, to, if guys, I can add to that, yeah, absolutely, is really the dirt time is more beneficial for the spotter than it is the shooter, um, because the shooter is just doing what what they're asked to do behind the gun. The spotter is where the learning on the dirt time really comes into play. And I think to help answer some of that question is is if if we are ringing steel with every shot, whether the shooter is, is not listening to a wind call, which very seldom happens, um, usually people are going to shoot exactly what they're asked to shoot on wind holds. But that dirt time where that comes into play is, is where somebody may just be going through the process and not understanding why reading the mirage and why reading bullet trace is so important until it actually starts consistently hitting the dirt then they can start learning how to make corrections from a hit from a miss to a hit on target. Well, then that's where Trent, I think, was going is when we hone in from a hit on target to center of target and really fine tuning for that perfect shot. But until they hit the dirt several times and learn how to correct off of that using the formulas, the wind formulas, understanding their MOA or mill per, for that distance, then that's where the beauty of that dirt time comes into place because they usually go, I get it. I understand why I hit the dirt and how to correct the shooter, not only to the target, but to center of target and start using those those process, processes that we taught Friday morning or but, Friday afternoon. And that's, that's exactly, it's I'm teaching sorry, them to do the math. Is, is what you're doing is exactly what Denise is, is hitting on is that you, you want them to, to apply the math that you're giving them. And I think it's sometimes it's easy to kind of cheat it a little bit, uh, but it only lasts for so long till you, mm -hmm. you know, you have to put the time in. I don't and under pressure. It's difficult. Uh, yeah. You know what? That pressure is, at least in my opinion, that pressure is nice, but I think that there's a, a you know, with that ego and everything, like we talked about gone, there's a sense of, of, absolute accomplishment even pride as you are able to bring that shot back in and i remember you know there's video and i didn't recall it but i remember drew and i at opie and we were like hey let's hit i want to hit ron's mark you know ron hit right here let's hit that mark and then the ability and again guys in three days to be able to bring that sucker back in and it, it was funny because drew and i were fist pumping here and there and uh first day brian's like hey fist pumping and all that stuff you know uh leave it <laughs> leave it alone but you find it's hard as heck not to when it's like hey in two and a and it's not even three days. It's literally two days. You're out and you're, you're thousand yards, right? Ding, 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 ding. I mean, the third day is really qual, right? But it's the, I don't want to say proficiency, right? But there's a level of proficiency 
in two days. And by that third day for LRPR one, you're proficient if you've been paying attention and you've not tried to cheat the system. It's uh, it's exactly. Awesome. exactly. <laughs> it's and and awesome. we can tell when they're cheating the system. And, and I'll tell you this, you know, if you think about it, and, and now you know this, if, if we spotted for the students on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, just think if the instructor stood back there and laid all the students on the line and we spotted for them, think about what you would not have learned, guy. 90, 95% of the class for me was behind the spotter period with without a question and 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 what's funny about that statement again is you want to shoot but there was the only thing you have to do as a shooter is keep good fundamentals in form right and and in trigger pull that's it Mm -hmm. right that's all that's all yeah that's all you have to do everything is gained being the spotter i mean absolutely I'm going to say it's more than 95%. You guys might disagree with that, but at least for me as an individual, it was 95%, 98% of that class was being behind that glass in the back. Um, And as a strong spotter, I know you'll agree with this as a strong spotter. Now you are stronger. You can go out and coach uh, a new, uh, let's say you've got a youth shooter in the area um, (laughs) yet, you know, or, or one of your buddies coaching him and his son and daughter, you can do it now right. you have the tools that you need you have everything you need for mill and moa um because we took the mystery out of that we broke it down and we continued to break it down until everybody got it and and with poor diego you know we got him going uh, strong on moa and then his partner's um uh reticle actually turned, turned in the scope um Truly, that's the first time I've ever seen that in all these years. First time I've ever, I've seen a lot of scopes break, and the guys have seen all sorts of stuff on the line. You never know. We've seen scopes fall off at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. First shot, and the scope falls off. Um, we've seen all sorts of things, and we fix it and move on. That, we couldn't fix. And so, Seal bounced right up, and he said, hey, I have plenty of ammo. Shoot my rifle. It would, I would be, that right there is just beautiful. That's a beautiful moment that occurred. And I fist bumped to seal and I said, dude, I truly appreciate it. I mean, we were looking, the instructors were looking at each other. I'm thinking, how many rounds do I have of 300 PRC? Zach's like, oh, I've got some six GT, but not enough. You know, we're all looking at each other, trying to figure out a plan. And um, because we had our rentals on the line our two rentals were on the line. That's really, we've got a third, but it was at the house. So, um, anyway, I need some more rental rifles probably, but typically people bring their own anyway. So now, uh, Diego had to completely reverse in just a few minutes. He's, he's driving somebody with a mill scope now and he did just fine because the kids got a heart of gold. Um, everybody there had a heart of gold and, um, Diego is it makes me proud of our future that's for sure yeah my, my little dude is something amazing man <laughs> yeah he is something amazing so 
you know, staying on track with wind because you'll you'll rabbit hole me, Ron. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. That's, they're good, but I want to make sure that you know we get we get that uh, LR experience out of it. Um, in terms of wind, so uh, when we you know Brian brought it up. So Denise, if you want to take it when we talk, you know when we talk about full half value things like that and wind, can you give us a little bit of background on what that is? Because um, most folks have no clue. Sure. Sorry, my daughter's trying to call me. Um, so the difference between like half value and full value is the wind direction um, on target compared to where how we're feeling it or seeing it. So full value would actually be going from um, left to right of target, where quarter value is going to be at an angle. So if you did it as a clock, um, you know, quarter value is going to be your your th- your two o'clock one you know one o'clock around there where your full value is going to be from from uh i'm doing it backwards from nine to to three so you know you you start using your quarter values and your full values um in order to do our wind calculation if you you know the the bullet's going to feel differently from a full value compared to a quarter value not as much um wind hold on a quarter value compared to a full value you're going to cut it in in half of what your formula would be your wind formula that we teach and the and then the so formulas sorry so the formulas are based on mill and moa and there's different formulas for the two but sign up for the class if you want all that <laughs> yes and we teach it easy there's you know you i've seen it on facebook and i've seen it here and there and, and you can get real confused and real quick and i i don't want to be confused um i i, I want to keep it as simple as possible for my own self um and so the way we teach it it's it's a, a very small amount of math but um you don't have to have a calculator there's no division or anything like that it's just adding and subtracting and, and kind of going from there so really, then it just comes like what Brian was saying earlier is just knowing um, what you think it is and and being out there and, and what you feel on your body, your hair, your face, what direction it's kind of feeling. If you're feeling it from one shoulder to the next or cording from you or, you know, full no value, which is either in your face or from your complete back. So you just have to start paying attention to those things when you're out and about in order to get comfortable with the wind in wind formulas and you know with these calibers nowadays um less less holes are required which is awesome everything is is a little bit more efficient and um the calibers are are pretty awesome so we're able to um use that wind formula but not have to be so aggressive um with those nicer calibers so i'll let uh, you guys fight about who's going on this one ron brian um the math comes easy Right. And, and as Denise said, you know, you can get on YouTube or whatever. And I had done a little bit reading and I had been, you know, one other place with with some shooting. Um, and now I find myself just out of curiosity because it makes sense to me now. Right. Because you guys made the math come so easy. I wanted to go back and look at stuff and look at what's available. And I still find myself reading through something going, you know, scratching it going, what? Right. Like why, mm-hmm. why so much information um, doesn't need to be, I mean, you guys broke that down and that might've, you know, I don't even think that was the longest part of the class when we sat over there, you know, let, let's talk about that math and, and maybe Ron, you take mill, Brian, take Emma away, however you guys want to do it. Um, but really, it's not as intimidating as it's laid out in most places. 
as so <clears throat> real quick i'll say this it needs to be simple because it, a bull of a lifetime you have a target exposure time of unknown it's unknown there's no ro range official that's going to tell you you have 90 seconds to engage this target this is as real as it gets when you're on the hunt you have a, a um a godly created animal in front of you at whatever distance and you have i mean it's up to him the target exposure is up to him and as we all know as hunters usually the target exposure area especially at distance because at distance everything narrows the windows are narrowed down um as we get closer we notice that park up there that big field opens up as we get closer but when we're at distance it's it's narrow so you have from this tree line to that tree line to get it done yeah it needs to be simple it needs to be fast your gut your confidence your gut instinct needs to be on point and ready to go that's why you've been while you've been sitting there glassing for animals glassing for movement glassing high speed avenues of approach you know you see oh here's a good trail i think you know i see it opening here obviously there's a, a game trail there i'm going to mark that i'm going to write it down i'm going to range it in my little right in the rain notepad i'm going to range it and i'm going to put a firing solution for that if i don't have time say it's 7.6 mils to that that opening if i have time i, I guarantee you i'm going to go range it twice before i send a shot at 700 yards i'm going to range it twice and there's none of this holding the range finder up here it needs to be on a tripod or laying down on top of the rifle scope a super solid rest because if you range behind that animal or in front of the animal I know I'm rabbit holing you here, but it's all, it's super important. This is all, this is when it all matters the most. That's why we teach very simple, but you have witnessed. And I, the guys told you, I told you up front, please trust the wind formula. We're going to know, and we're going to force you to use it because guys are going to say, well, let's, they'll say it quietly to the shooter. Just send one center mass and I'll correct from there. No, no, there's almost always wind. Put some wind on the gun. Use your gut. Let's learn from it. Nobody's judging you. If it's in the dirt, that's fine. When I get worried is when I see hits all this, uh, Friday afternoon and hits Saturday morning. That team hasn't missed one target. I don't like that. I want them to miss some targets because it's beneficial for the spotter. Now, I went backwards just a bit there. Um, that's all just clocking in the back of my mind all the instructors when we meet at lunch or dinner we're always talking about team one team two team three do we need to enhance something what's going on here what that's that's our lunchtime conversations but anyway um on on um on mill it really we start by teaching moa and then we convert it to mill we we, we start with moa we do it on purpose um so I'll let Brian take him away and then I can bounce back in or Trent can bounce back in on, on the mill. Very simple. Go ahead, Brian. All right. So, uh, I mean, basically they're just two units to measure. You know, we, we keep start talking about mill, which is mill radian or MOA, which is minute of angle. Uh, again, they're just units of measure. So 
for easy shooters math, one minute of angle is roughly an inch at a hundred yards. Um, and I'll just kind of hit on mill real quick and, and, and mill for every three tenths, yeah, every three tenths of a mill is an inch at a hundred yards. Again, just, that's just shooter's math. There's some finite to get a little bit closer, but you use that to your advantage. If you have a mill reticle or MRA reticle, um, I'm not going to sit there and say one's better than the other and ends up being shooter's choice. Really, you, you find something you're comfortable with and that you can understand and, uh, and run with it. But you can use that if you have a, you use your range finding reticle or your tactical reticle in your scope. And if you want to find out, well, how many inches or how many feet do I have for this shooting window? Well, you know that how many mils you've got or how many MOA in your scope, but you can actually do the math and break that down into inches and feet. Same thing on your come ups uh, or your wind. You know, if you know that your your kill area on whatever animal you're you're shooting is, you know, your vital is 18 inches. Well, then you can use your reticle and come up with a measurement using your reticle and then convert that back over to, again, inches. Uh, but again, it's just, at the end of the day, it's just a unit of measure. And uh, I mean, we can dive way off into the weeds with it, but that's kind of the Cliff Notes version. Trent, you got any input on that? Well, you know, I think breaking it down and, and kind of what Ron has touched on as well on the ethics side and, and, and being confident with your abilities and really being honest with yourself um, is, is really how you kind of determine if it's an ethical shot or not, right? I mean, I look at it like uh, I have a factor of, a, of 100. If I'm bat, it, it basically, if I'm 100 percent, all right, and I'm, I feel confident that I can take a thousand yard shot. Well, in Arkansas, I do, but when I'm, uh, you know, in another state where the environmental is completely different, I'm at a higher elevation. There's a factor right there, so I can take 10 percent off of that. And this is basically how I would go into my confidence, and, and basically score my confidence ability. And if I was going to take a shot, I would take all that in consideration. Um, are you doing everything you can do while you're setting up to take that shot? Are you mapping out what the layout of the land looks like? Are you ranging targets? You know, and you, are you noting where these, these animals are crossing? Um, things like that, that, okay, well, that, that puts a little more back into your, your confidence right there because you're taking all these things to where you can make these the split second decisions because you may only have two seconds three seconds well that's that's a that's a factor as well so you know to, to what brian's saying if i can plug in that math very quickly and, and utilize these formulas um well that and i just do it in repetition until it's in my muscle memory now all of a sudden I've, I've put all these tools in this bag i've shot this gun i've shot it a bunch i know it up and down i know it at every range you know, I know what it does in the wind, different winds. Um, when you take all that and that's when you build that confidence, then, you know, um, you don't question whether or not you could take that shot. You know you can take that shot. It's just add on. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. It's you know, that that was that was an interesting thing, right? And then I talked to a couple of a uh, couple of the folks on the squad after was that, you know, going through this, you would think one would think that you would walk away with 
I don't want to say more. You do walk away with more confidence. Maybe that's not the word. There might be a level of arrogance in some folks, right? I'll just use that word, right? Or or overconfident in terms of your ability. Um, but I think as that knowledge base for me increased over that three days, right? And really thinking about and taking in what we learned, um, you know, and then I'll get into this and, and Trent kind of spawned the thought um, when we talked about ethics, but it actually, you know, we hear, oh, it's, you know, it's unethical to shoot that far. You shouldn't be shooting an animal that far. Um, but I think this training increases that level of ethics, right? That that value set in, in doing the right thing and, and understanding when to pull the trigger and why you shouldn't be pulling the trigger because of those environmentals. Um, because that, you know, that thermal is all over the place at, you know, 700 yards. Because you can, and I'm going to say it right now. Just because you can lay down and shoot a mini buffalo at 1010 or take a shot out at 1260 on steel, by no stretch of the imagination, unless I am hitting that thing without my spotter, this is my opinion, without my spotter and I'm consistently hitting that thing at you know the right mark, there's no way that, that I've just in three days increased my effective kill range to 1260 yards, right? I mean, right. That, that's right. just craziness. So I want to put that out there. Um, but I, I absolutely believe that going through this, going through the fundamentals, going through the math, um, learning the win, having the dirt time, that that takes your your ethics bar and puts it up here. It's tenfold um, because nobody in that class said, I'm ready to go shoot an animal at 900 yards after we talk post class. Not not one person. I mean, what I heard was double of what they thought, maybe double of what they thought their capability was on Friday when we talked about, you know, where where our abilities were at. Um, so yeah. I, I, I mean, it to me, it's huge. That's a, that's a good point. Um, you know, and, and I think that they would say that the day after and maybe the week after, but I think if they hadn't shot and you put them out there in, in a scenario like that, I guarantee you, most of those students, because of what they learned through a class like this, wouldn't do it. it. It actually humbles you because you realize all the factors that could be involved in your shot that if it's that make it a non-ethical kill or, or an attempt. I mean, who you know, we don't. Nobody wants to do that. So, right. yeah, I, I think it kind of you, you start looking at the different chapters and like, oh, I got a lot more book to read, mm -hmm. you know, before I really understand how this works. So. Uh, I and Trent, you're right on with that. I think um, what I see or when I talk to potential students is when I explain some of the stuff that we go through, they they don't know that oh that's that's something that is is a factor when it comes to shooting um, distance. And so having that knowledge, all of a sudden, you know, we usually see people on Monday after a class like I can't work because I'm too busy on the internet googling stuff it really um opens up their mind that there's factors out there that they didn't realize that there are factors and what we've said in class quite a few times and we've done it a few times is if we take them back to take the student back to 100 yards after friday the group is tighter if we took it back on sunday it would, it would be tighter than that so your proficiency at shooting shorter distances um, of what maybe you're used to 100 yards 200 yards 300 whatever it may be your efficiency um, is going to just increase um, quite a bit because honing in on this 
even just getting their gun fit properly. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to just to get on the gun right away and not fidget around and look around to get into the scope. That's a huge that's a huge factor. Um, and that takes out tons of negative equations when it comes to shooting. I saw a video. Was it over the weekend? That was the last couple of days. And the guys are shooting. And, you know, he's there's a guy spotting. And you hit high. And the mm-hmm. first thing I thought was, what the hell spotter are you? <laughs> what the hell does that, you shoot at something, you hit high. What does that mean? Right. Exactly. And exactly. It, it was like, Hey, neither one of you, neither one of you should be doing what you're doing right now. If that's the call that you hear after, you know what I mean? Like, ah, man. And, uh, you're, you're good. And to me, oh, sorry, man. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Nope. You go right ahead. You're fine. To me, I see a couple of guys that that haven't been trained to to our specification. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I say that humbly. That's what I see. I see an opportunity to educate those guys. But on online, it's very hard to to drop a little paragraph underneath a video like that and say, "Hey, let me help you out." You can't do that um, because that would be taken the wrong way or it would be taken as arrogance or whatever, you know, but in all honesty, that as sportsmen and women, right. Those are the conversations that we should be having and we should not be giving each other guff. If, if someone that is, you know, an expert in the field is saying something now, if it's Joe blow or if it's me speaking on long range, by all means, Brian, when I tell you how you should shoot or Trent, call me out on it. (laughs) But if it's somebody that, that has the knowledge base, um, says something, we should be able to have those conversations, right? We're already, we're already beat as a demographic, right? And if we can't have those conversations and, and that's true value and true ethics, Right. If you approach me with something like that, I should be able to take that, you know, not with a grain of salt and say, hey, man, you know what? Yeah. Even if I don't know you. Right. I look at you. you look. Oh, wow. Yeah. This this guy is is adding value to me right now. Um, those hard conversations are needed. Right. We're already up yep. against it. If we can't have them, I honestly, after going through the class, not everybody can do it. But I think it's something that we should all be looking at. We should all have that as a goal, right? Maybe I don't do X or Y this year and I'm going to go and I'm going to get in a, an LR course, right. And get some good fundamentals and really understand my equipment. Um, I tell you what, when I looked at it, it was like, man, that, you know, one of the things was, I know that animal is going to, he's going to fall. He's not going to make it 20, 30 yards at, at, you know, and that's always a goal of mine for years. I just shot my, my, my Thompson center. That thing's a single shot. Right. And that was the goal. All I need is one. I'm going to pull that hammer down and I'm going to make it, you know, one, we hear it all the time. We say it all the time, but are we serious about one shot, one kill? Are we serious about it? And if we're serious about it, then, you know, with that good input and I understand why you wouldn't, I told, I was, when we were shooting over the weekend, uh, it was myself, Diego, and then, uh, Chris McKelvey. I'm sure Ron, you've talked to Chris over, over Instagram and, uh, you know, Chris was, he was flying to the side a little bit. And as bad as I wanted to say something, because I saw what he was doing, I saw his input on that on that bow hand. I didn't say anything, and he said something. And I said, "Well, you know, hey man, do you mind if I give you some input?" So I understand what you're saying. It's really hard, even if you have a rapport with someone. 
Um, sure. But I, I think going into giving giving the input is really how you start off the conversation. You can start off a conversation as as a derogatory negative on the person, um, which we've seen a thousand times. I, I will shut off the moment somebody calls me a name or tells me I'm dumb. I'm, I'm done listening. Um, but if we is if we want to really truly help people, I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. Is we have to be able to approach it with very um, soft hands and explain to them, I'm just, I want to help. I don't want to insult. Um, but really where the arrogance kind of, I think, plays off sometimes is the people that are trying to help are rude um, or, or can come across rude. And that may, may not be their intention, um, but that's how people are taking it because it's just not soft hands with the approach, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's using diplomacy, really. It's, there you go. Well, I mean, using it, tact and diplomacy, but it, and it's also you know I'm not responsible for how you react, right? It's the reaction part of sure. it because everybody's a freaking expert. Um, yes. You know what <laughs> I mean? Everybody's fact. everybody's an expert, and unfortunately, it's those yeah. of us that aren't that are the experts. <laughs> it it yeah, makes I was it. Gonna say, that, there's no expert here. I'm, I, I feel like I'm just a, a student of, of the martial art of shooting, but but humble um, in the student life. And if, if I mean, if you just go into it with the approach that look, uh, you know, honestly, it, instructing, um, it's it's so rewarding and gratifying in, in, in kind of a selfish way because I learned just as much from the students um, and, and watching them and watching them grow. It's very inspiring um, and, and you love seeing it. Um, but at the same time, if I don't, I know that there's probably five people in there that have, you know, better capabilities at you know shooting a pistol or or something to that effect i mean it's you have to check the ego at the door and i think you know what we've done at at dr that's 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 humbling is that they've created that environment to where everybody feels like they're welcome right up you know out of the gate i mean and and we can include them um and and they don't feel like they're threatened because or you know challenged i mean people People don't really learn well in that environment, so we not have to really break it down very quickly. Because, yeah. like you said, we only have really two days, so it's you know it's a it's a quick boot camp. That you know yeah. that you say that, and I brought it up. I think in in graduation, um, you know, for me because it, it my relationship with Ron over the last couple of years, and and I think so it was a little unfair for me. But you know, as we talked about it with Squad in their episode, everybody had their kind of person or persons that they didn't want to let down again for me it was ron right and and i was like man i'm not letting him down Uh, there's no way i'm letting him down but one of the standouts right and my other one became brian because i remember drew drew struggled with the wind calls i'll just say it right he knows he struggled with wind calls and we were going and i wasn't tripping and denise was like you know you're good. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm letting control go. That was my thing, right? Let control go. And I remember Brian kind of squatting down next to me and and saying, "Stay in it, stay in it." And I was like, "Bro, I'm I'm in it. Like I'm not tripping." And then when we finally hit steel, and he patted me on my, I could still feel it, bro. When he patted me on my right shoulder and say, "Way to stay in it," that was that was one of the highlights of the class for me, right? It, it, it's that. It, it man, I, I just 
I have such a hard time putting words to the entire experience, right? And I'm not just floating something here. If, if it wasn't a great experience across the board, I don't know that we would be doing this episode. I might be avoiding Ron. You know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly. it's not. Exactly. Right. And so, Guy, did, did you feel like that every one of the other students there had that same maybe, maybe experience at least once that kept them motivated, right? Dude. I mean, the episode that we talked, right. we haven't stopped talking in three weeks about this class, right? And, and and Ron and Denise are on are on our little DM chat there. That's not all the conversations that are being had. Diego Elmer and I, we talked about the class for a couple of hours uh, over this last weekend. I sat down with Diego and Dennis and, and Dennis wasn't there. We talked about the class with him. Um, Trevor and I have talked about it. Drew, I mean, me and Drew hunt together, right? So there was a, there was a necessity. We need, to, we need to get Dennis there. Yeah. There was a necessity for Drew and I to have this experience, right? Um, and, and just to see how we grew as a team, um, was great for me. And then it, it showed him a lot because I said it right. Like we're in the woods, man. I am about business. Like there ain't no, there's mm -hmm. no joking when we're boots on and there's a weapon in it. There ain't no joking. Like I'm not, nothing is funny. Like we are mission driven. Nothing is funny. And I'm quite honestly, I'm an a-hole. I become an absolute a-hole, right? I wait all year for those moments. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, somebody's going to be crunching on something loud, especially on our deer pursuits, you know, and, and to see our growth. Um, and then, you know, him to have realizations and me to have realizations. That was, that was something that wasn't expected out of the course. Right. Um, but man, I, we had Trent to go back to what you meant. We ain't stopped talking about it, dude. Everybody That's was great. like, boom, boom. I mean, just these huge explosions. The conversation I had with Denise about, you know, my control factor, right? I never let anyone take that away from me, especially when it comes to hunting. Like I do not do it. Um, but it was so easy to just back it off and say, hey, if it's a bad wind call, it's going to benefit us come October, November. Where if I didn't, I could have made corrections. Like, I know I could have said, hey, bro, that's the wrong call. And I did that that's once, right. and that was the last day. I said, hey, can we call this? Right? And I didn't do it. I turned around and said, hey, could you call this? Right? And Zach and Drew looked at it and said, yeah, send it. Right? And that that was the hit. But, it was, man, we, we haven't stopped talking about it. I, I still... And besides myself with trying to explain the entire experience, I mean, it's just phenomenal, phenomenal. It, it's really hard to. And, and, and that's I think that's what, uh, you know, talking about it earlier, um, really understanding what what comes out of it and what what's the secret sauce. Right. I think it's just the culmination of things yes, that, sir. you know, you're putting putting people out of their comfort zone. Um, you're challenging them. They're building a team mentality as well as a group mentality, um, you know, just to, to be able to rely on each other. And there's positive support that comes from all that. And you see this growth that's almost exponential mm -hmm. just because, you know, there's all this being poured on top of it. I mean, you're literally drinking from a fire hose the entire hot time. Yes, sir. So, um, and, and I think the other thing that, that, that gets built in really quickly, we don't leave anybody behind in any class. We, we will ensure that we, they all keep up. And, you know, it, okay, it may be a little bit slower class when it's all said and done, but we still went there and accomplished what we're, we were there to set out to do. And, and that personal growth and everything that comes from that, 
still happens. You know, 100%. and typically, typically when when you're in a scenario like that, right, and and there's no you know no man left behind, there's folks that get frustrated. Hey, I'm past this, or you know what I mean? Like, right. come on, man, get it. You know, um, what what I saw, and and I think Tate saw it. Um, I know Carrie saw it. Was you just end up getting more for yourself, right? It's just breaking it down even more, even if you grasp, you know, save the win, right? And and what goes into calling that win, if you grasp that right off the bat, but just hearing these reiter- reiterations, uh, be it MOA, you know, the only thing I think <laughs> that we all left the class scratching our head was like the Vietnam era stuff that Mike, oh. Mike and Ron were doing with that scope, right? That was the only thing where, you know, we, and we talked about it was like, man, we're going to have to sit with Ron and just, just hear this, right. To understand it. And, and to a point, like some of us were getting it, but it was just like, how in the bejesus is this man so, doing this? Did he, let me ask, did he have a duplex radical? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was, it Second was. Second vocal plane. Yeah. Then there. Yeah. We went old yeah. school. We went Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, uh, so I think that was the, you know, so, and as we're wizardry sit- is what it is. Yes, sir. And so, <laughs> so going to the, you know, back to the point with no man left behind, you know, folks will get frustrated with that. Right. Because now I'm not on the line. I'm not hot or I'm not behind the glass worried about me and my partner or worried about my rounds going down range. Man, the focus was just like, you know, is he going to hit it? Is he? And, and you're listening mm-hmm. and you're going, how in the world did you just go? I thought 700 yards that way was impressive. When he was stretching it out across Opie, across the valley, that was mind blowing. To understand what was in that reticle and what was going on was just, man, it was so impressive. So, so well, impressive. Those students that really excel during those down times, and I think Ron does a pretty good job explaining that we're not going to leave anybody behind. Be patient. But if you are invested in that whole group, which your whole group was, and you get behind glass, whether it's on your scope and see where those misses are going, that's a learning tool for people if they take the time to sit there and listen to the process of whatever's going on at that moment. Um, there's there's always learning going on, whether you're you know involved in that situation or not, if you pay attention. It was amazing. Hold, give me one second. Something Drew just caught, tried to call me. And it just changed my screen. So let me see what the heck's going on here. Because I still got you guys. I just can't see you now. What in the world just happened here? It's still showing record on our side. Yeah, I can yeah. I can hear you. I just can't see you. So let me let me see. If it disconnects us, I apologize. Let me see if I can get back in. I'm not sure why this is doing this. That was weird. Oh, that's an hour and eight minutes. What in the world? Of all people, he's going to catch some now. (laughs) 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 Son of a... Get off here while I'll message him. What are you thinking? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what in the heck? That's the hard part, right? Is, is, you know, I got to figure that out. How do you, how do you keep everybody from... Calling, yeah. What yeah. in the world? Yeah. Well, whenever we first started, I had to step out. My wife was outside talking to her dad, and our dog was running around. Well, my front door camera kept picking up the motion, and I kept getting these alerts mm. on my phone. So I had to walk up there and say, "Hey, turn that thing off." <laughs> <laughs> you got I had one. To do the same thing. You got one of them rings. I had. We had 
some guys doing some work on the house today and it about drove me crazy with it we're still showing hot on this end though yeah we'll we'll keep going i lost i lost my video but as long as it's still recording we're okay Uh, it's it's going into a different program anyway so it'll be all right so yeah i i I don't know i i can't say enough about it um it was it was phenomenal And, and to see every like i said earlier right to see and and know everybody to a point in their capabilities and what they were looking to get out of it and and even like like if you you know take a look at sill right sill going in felt like he was the long range guy right he mm-hmm. he he knew long range and and to watch him get just absolutely spanked early on and and he really and i saw it big time right that when it humbled him it was like okay there it is now now that uh switch is flipped that was awesome well, and from your, you know, and and from your end, you know all these people, and you said that um, the day I think it was the day or two before the class, you said, "Man, this is going to be interesting," mm-hmm. and I just kept saying, "Brother, I can't wait. Let's just <laughs> let's just just get here safe because we're going we're going to put it on. It's going to work out." Uh, I don't know how, but it just works out. It works out because we're always moving forward. We're going to figure it out. We're we're going to have teams that struggle on things maybe we haven't even seen before who knows we're going to pick it up we're going to troubleshoot it we're going to pull back brian and i and trent and zach denise are going to talk real quick we're going to come back to the line it's a huddle and we come back and we're hey uh we're going to move on and make it work so um with still you know that's your perspective because you know him coming in and you knew all about still and his preparation and he shoots out out at distance um they're close to you from our standpoint we're looking across the line we're watching fundamentals it doesn't matter who it is it, it, there's not a name to it right now it's just like team two okay that's a great trigger pull mike um good follow through you know and we're coaching the fundamentals you saw that Mm -hmm. and then it continues to progress to the next level but for me watching somebody struggle we just have an ear lent to that spotter right now i mean there's going to be two or three instructors listening for that Um, anyone near is going to be listening for that spotter's response when it's in the dirt because we have eyes on the glass all around them you know we've got one guy to the left one guy to the right denise may be right there on them and if that's her team we're going to respect that but at the same time we back each other up you know weird things happen sometimes or you blink or whatever but anyway if i see someone struggling on friday it's a-okay not a problem that's the dirt time if i see somebody uh, a ringer center mass all day on friday i mean that's great but i do want that shooter to struggle and and i'm going to be listening to make sure if this does happen the shooter may be calling all the wind oh yeah and because he's so knowledgeable he's taken it away and now the spotter's not learning a right. thing he's going to need the spotter when he's in tall grass and he doesn't see an impact underneath the target or above the target down range and he's like i truly did not see that I need my spotter. Well, let us train your spotter to our standards. That's why we have a program set up the way we do. 
10 years into it, you know, we change almost, we, we fine tune things all the time. If it's not working, we're going to fine tune it and we're going to make something, you know, work, uh, for the next class or the next, um, over the years, it's it's developed into what it is now. So you, you know, Ron. Um, well, I think on on that real quick, guy. I think on that, Ron hit a really good spot. We know we know when a shooter is is correcting the spotter because we're listening to the shooter or the spotter. We know exactly what that wind call was, and we know where that that shot should hit according to that wind call. And if we know it's going to be a miss and it's a hit, it usually tells us, okay. You know, our, our shooter is not um, allowing that spotter to grow by correcting his shots. And it, it gets called out. You know, I mean, it, it gets um, it's somewhere on that weekend. It, it's called out so that shooter, that spotter can learn. You know, Ron, basic. Well, Ron you, say some, you yeah. say something there. We have the integrity in that. But, Ron, you said something there. And, you know, you one would think that the pressure is on the shooter, right? you you, you got to do everything right. But I think the way that you guys do that and and you put it on the spotter it allows the shooter to just settle into the rifle and you really don't you really don't have anything to worry about right and that and that's one of the things that i kept saying to everybody was you know after the class like man they go like well you know how is that to shoot a thousand yards or 1260 yards and my response has been the same across the board it's like laying down at 100 yards because there's mm-hmm. really no, what do you what are you worried about, right? Some fundamentals and and get you know getting on that glass good. It's all fundamentals. Everything else is gone. I was laying my favorite target right was was the brown buck white vitals. That was my favorite target. I don't know what it was about that target. I could just shoot that target, right? And that was nine hundred and sixty four yards. Oh, okay. 964, right? Okay. I can get my right, right in the rain. Um, <laughs> but laying down on that, you know what I mean? There was no there was no difference in me laying down at at, at cardboard, you know, on, on day one at 100 yards. I, I really didn't feel any added pressure. Um, you know, when I felt the pressure again, you know, I, Drew and I had, where were we shooting? It might have been the same target. And man, I called, I called right. I should have been calling left. And I, there was one where I finally saw his bullet impact. I had him 20 feet, 30 feet to the right off target and didn't realize I was calling the wrong hold on the wind or the wrong direction on the wind. And I kept walking him away from the target. That yeah. was, that's where I was, you know, I felt the pressure and then it, it I, I could see the impact now. It hit right next to that tree and I go, you dumb SOB. But by that time, guess what? The call was out of my hands and I had an instructor mm-hmm. and that's the one thing I did not want. I did not, Ron <laughs> stole one from me. And I, I turned around and, and Hunter looked at me and I looked at Hunter and go, son of a, <laughs> I didn't want him stealing that call. And uh, yeah, that, that's where the pressure was at was, was, you know, not making those calls, but as a shooter to lay down on that ground and look through that scope, 1260 yards is a poke 700 yards for most folks is a poke right but to lay down and just look through that glass and feel like you do at 100 200 yards man there was that's it it was amazing tells me you're ready for lr2 oh i am i wish i was doing it next month tells me (laughs) i wish i wish i was headed that way already i was uh I, i tell you what that was one of the best 
one of the best experiences behind the behind the rifle behind a bow I have ever had in my existence was that weekend. I'm so happy. Yeah, it was I'm just, so glad. It was amazing. Um, to so, me, that 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 tells me the program's working, and it it really gives me a lot of pride to hear you and the crew say that the peanut gallery um you know i mean because they all mean something you know and the feedback is always so important we do the same way every class and that feedback is just as important in that class as it was in yours um knowing you beforehand that's that's something that's not typical you know i usually meet them on friday morning unless it's lr2 and then we all know them. It's a big reunion. We're all hugging them on LR2 is a reunion of great friends. Mm-hmm. LR3 is phenomenal. It's just, you're just great friends. It's long range brotherhood right there. You show up, there's not a stranger in the mix. I gotta make even it. if, even if he was in a, if one guy doesn't know anyone in the whole class and he's in LR3, he was trained the whole, the same way as everybody else in that class. He melts right in, and they're best friends at the end of the weekend. It's just amazing wow. to watch. I got to make it through all the classes so I can go on one of them hunts now. <laughs> exactly. You know what's what was yeah. funny about it, right? And and I still have a thing for Ron's rifle. It ever comes up stolen, don't look my way. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that impressed me as we looked across that lineup there was, you know, you start talking about LR, right? And we start looking at, you know, these these high-end rounds, if you will, right? Or these high-end weapons. But what was impressive was factory rounds, right? And Ron, you've been telling me that since day numero uno, buddy, when we spoke. I remember where I was at when we had our first conversation. Uh, you know, hey, I don't reload. I'm a factory round guy, man. I don't have time for it. But to look at that lineup and go, wow, right? These are these are factory weapons and factory rounds well still had his you know he had his uh hand loads but you know they may not be super precise hand loads right Uh a guy in his garage that's trying to dump out 200 rounds like i was in a hurry in In a a hurry hurry. right i mean this (laughs) ammo shortage is not just factory ammo let me tell you and i got a couple of uh tall 50 cal bins full of brass but good lord trying to find bullets and trying to find powder was even harder and Uh what was it denise two weeks before class we were like score i had to i had to get you guys to do me a favor i was like oh my god and it got to the point where it was like okay i need 200 rounds if it cost me a thousand dollars at this point so be it um but that yeah. was that was impressive. Your so ammo's on the way, by the way. It's already yeah. here. I got my brass today when I walked up. So thank you. <laughs> that was You're awesome. Welcome. I didn't want to, with with that all being said, I didn't want to let that go to waste. <laughs> uh, no, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, right? Um, Denise and, and Brian, if you could take, you know, take that and talk a little bit about, you know, the custom rifles versus, you know, factory rifles. Um because a lot of people think, hey, I, I have to have this to shoot this far. Sure. Um, so I think it, it just comes in line with, with really anything um, custom over um, over the counter. With archery, you get real expensive. Same thing with rifles. The, the rifles that are made nowadays um, out of the box are really good. Um, you, you can go custom, but they're... You know, these out-of-the-box rifles, they're just as effective 
from what I'm seeing. Um, you know, some of them don't have as much um, maneuverability when it comes to the stock, these custom, these uh, store-bought rifles. So you have to build a cheek piece and you may not have the right length of pull. And, and so that's really, for me, out of the box gun would be the biggest deterrent is not having the capabilities um, to have that adjustability on the stock. Now you can buy or the Bergeras and stuff, um, the Ruger RSRs, they have adjustability. They're going to be a little bit more expensive out of the box. So um, I'll let Brian talk on customer if he wants, but we've seen we've seen very successful out-of-the-box rifles. I think that's a good way to start when you get into long range because you just don't know what you're looking for until you start shooting a lot, like with anything else. You know, if you're a mountain bike rider, um, archery, you've got to start somewhere. And people don't have the ability just to go out and buy the most expensive to get the job done. It's better to be educated and um, choose when you start going custom, when you can just go out of the box and, and start that way. Yeah, I agree. I don't think people should shy away from getting into precision rifle because they can't afford a custom $5,000 gun. I mean, there's a lot of factory, you know, rifles that you can buy at Bass Pro Cabela's or wherever that'll shoot half inch groups. Um, so that definitely doesn't need to be a factor that plays into somebody being afraid of it. Uh, carries rifle that obviously wasn't a custom rifle, a little 243. And, uh, <laughs> What did, what did she go out to? At least a thousand. She she hit the twelve sixty target. Twelve sixty, yeah. right? There wasn't anything custom about that, other than the if we may have built her a cheek piece out of some foam and some athletic tape on day one. So that I mean that should prove to anybody that was on that line that you don't need a five thousand dollar rifle to be uh, precise. Gunny Hathcock, you know, he did a lot of damage to the Viet Cong without a custom rifle. Well, I guess it was custom to them at the time. But um, a lot of that is on the shooter and on the confidence you build by training and by learning. Amen. Yes, sir. No, the, the custom rifles are nice. Oh. Um, once you, if you're really involved and you really are into long range shooting, um, I, why not? Why not have a, a nice action that has a, a you know, and a, a nice trigger um, that you can adjust the weight specifically for you. Um, so, I mean, it's nice to have a custom rifle, but if that's, I think that's for somebody that is out there in the field, uh, I think the money that's for somebody to spend $5,000 and it just stays in the vault, except for maybe once a year. Right. Um, there's other ways. Let's buy high end optics instead. You know, I mean, there's other ways to spend when long, with long range than just the rifle itself. So, yeah. yeah, we'll spin into optics real quick with Trent. But well, that's one of the things that I noticed with my rifle, right? It's a factory rifle. I had I had that brake put on it because that 7 mil without the brake, my muzzle climb was ridiculous um, mm -hmm. without that brake on it. But that's one of the things that the course made me realize more than ever, right? My bolt's a little bit sticky and I would love to just kind of just softly roll that sucker up and back. Um, and then fortunately I can pull some poundage off my trigger. So that's one of the things that I've been working on with my dry fires um, is trying to figure out where I like that trigger. Um, Good. Cause I, I've been doing my dry fires. Um, I don't that's want awesome. to, I don't want to lose that skill, right? It, yeah. It's in the backyard, but I see the value in them now. 
Um, whereas, you know, before I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, but I, now I'm starting to think about it, right? Ron, you guys know it's, I'm an archery guy at mm -hmm. heart, right? I love mm -hmm. pulling my bow back. I don't let a day go by without sending a few in the backyard. So that's part of the routine right now. I got to tell myself, yeah, you got to open the safe, put it back in there. Cause I'm like, I'll just set it by the bow at this point. Um, because mm -hmm. I've been, you know, laying down on it and then I've been trying to figure out some of the, you know, the props, um, grab this deal from wiser precision. They have this, this actually i'm gonna set it to you it's really cool ron um the system it's a tripod system that you use your trekking poles um and a basically a a pick mount on the bottom of the gun and it gives you a right. nice i mean really stable shooting platform um, it's sweet sure. so you guys might i'll well we'll talk about that it's cool yeah i've seen a lot of different things and one one last thing i was going to add before you move to optics and I said this on our first podcast, I truly believe you cannot buy your way in to success. I truly believe that. Right. So, you know, you can't just build a $8,000 rifle and skip, skip the class and, and go be successful. I, I think you have to put in your time. Well, there, it doesn't matter if it's an $800 rifle, that's fine. There's a little bit of sense of that though, right? Because if I go and I spend five, eight, ten thousand $10,000 on a custom rifle, right? That rifle is going to come with rounds that are loaded for that rifle. I think that there's a false sense of, of confidence in that, right? And when I looked at them early on, I thought about building one for this class. And I'm like, you know what, let's see. I don't even know how into this I'm gonna be or if I'm gonna be able to stretch out a thousand yards. But there, there has to be a false sense of that when you, hey man, I just spent 10 grand and you know folks do it. I just spent 10 grand. I should be able to go lay down and shoot 1200 yards without thinking about it, right? And not understand any of the stuff that we've been talking about thus far, right? And and that turret's still zero and I'm right in the middle of them crosshairs, right? Shooting at a thousand yards and, and that rifle was sighted in at, you know, 160 feet above sea level. Now my home range is, I mean, hey, there's going to be a difference. You are not yeah, going to go. VA or so. yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, there's, there's gotta be that level of, <laughs> I'm trying to keep my mouth right. Stupidry. I'll let you imagine what I was really <laughs> thinking <laughs> when it comes to, you know, a high dollar rifle and, and having rounds that are coming with that rifle. Um, there's a, there's I mean, a false sense of confidence. can't be purchased. No, nah, you know, no, nah. but and I don't think people realize that. I don't think they realize that when they go spend that money, you know, it's like buying a Mercedes Benz, right? I got a Mercedes Benz. Yeah. I, I, this thing should do everything for me. And all I got to do is press the pedal, you know, and, and it's not the case, but I think there's a, you know, there's this conception of, of these high end rifles that, that come with that, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I think so I'm usually false confidence. I'm yeah, still no. ahead and, yeah. You're good. D. Sorry, Trent. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you just usually when I'm on the phone with somebody that's wanting to come to the class, that's something I always urge to them is not to go out and buy all the equipment because they might have buyer's remorse. Um, they may come in and, and you know, once you buy a gun, you can't take it back to the store. It's used. It's no longer a new gun. The store's not going to give you that value, if, even if you didn't shoot it. Um, but I think it's important that they can come in and be educated by 12 different rifles from students. We, you know, we'll shoot next year on Saturday. You're seeing instructor's uh, equipment, including the rifle. Then they can go out and purchase those things with an educated get, an education, not a guess, but an mm -hmm. educated decision on what they like and don't like and not have buyer's remorse. 
because there's advantages and disadvantages to every piece of equipment. Denise, oh. Denise has some some components or has her gun set up a l- different than mine for a couple different reasons. Um, Ron's the same way. Um, it, the good thing is you get to see all these different uh, rifles and different components and optics, and you can pretty much narrow down by the end of the class. You know uh, the, the advantages to each one of them and why. Um, in certain applications, certain conditions. So including calibers, you know, that, that's a good one that, that we like to, we like to talk about a lot because I mean, there's all different types of trace when you're watching trace mm-hmm. and we get to see all these different calibers in a class. Well, that kind of opens the eyes up to a lot of students. We almost take it for granted, but when you start plugging it in, they're like, Oh, okay. I see what you mean. That apex is different from that caliber down here. And it's, it's considerably different from like a 300 wind mag because, well, that, that little uh, 77 grain 5.56 had almost no trace at this time when I could see it. It carries 243. (laughs) And, you know, I think there was some benefit, right? We, we didn't have a ton of sun. So we were, we were forced into situations there, you know, where we were having to adapt and, and really hone in on impact. Right. Which I don't know. I don't know that I gave any thought to early on. Uh, I know the one thing that I saw right off the bat was you can't just watch the target. Right. Then that that was one of the things that Drew and I had talked about. I'm like, bro, you 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 have if you're not seeing it, I'm seeing Trace. You have to be just looking at the target. And when he made the correction, that's when then we saw some gains in in his calls in terms of win and stuff. And it was like, okay, boom. And and Zach kind of walked us through that talking about, you know, looking forward at the apex. And I forget who it was. Maybe it was Brian that said, hey, make sure that that target is in the bottom third of that spotter. Right. So you're so you have the ability uh, to see that frame in here and, and get that apex and see that trace. You know, it was it was those things that were like, wow. But even even with that, you know, trying to find carries um, really didn't that didn't happen real good until the last day where we had some uh, some sun over at OP Delta. Right. We shot yep. the rain. We shot, in, you know, little haze there, some drizzle, some little uh, mist and. Wow, it was just like uh <laughs> that was great. We had that's every weekend at DR. We have you bring clothes for at least three seasons. <laughs> it was the uh, triangle. Yeah. It really is the truth. Yeah, that I, I but I think that adds value. It adds value to the course, yeah. right? Because you're in these Absolutely. different situations. I ain't never been into the woods, you know, once where the weather didn't change four times throughout mm-hmm. the day. You know, so it, that was huge value in my opinion because you're having to as a spotter, you're having to adapt to that situation to get your partner on steel, to get your shooter on steel. So it was a big deal. Um Yeah, and you've and you've got instructors there to help you adapt for sure. So we brought up Carrie's two forty three. And before we get into, you know, optics, uh, Ron, caliber, right? Because there's there's all these opinions of caliber. Um, and then Denise, grain weight. So talk about caliber a little bit and, and you know, maybe not. Uh, go ahead. Talk about caliber, Ron, and tell us, you know, where you see, you know, the best range in terms of long range calibers, where we should be looking. And then, Denise, if you could talk about grain weight and why that's valuable, especially in a hunting situation. So 308 was the old standard, you know, and it was really born from the military, right? Uh, that's what we were raised on, the 308, uh, 762. Um, 
and and then the six five Creedmoor crept in there, and you know I, I'm I'm one that doesn't believe, like we said in the class, we we quoted, the man with one gun is a feared man. That's an old old quote from Colonel Cooper, and I believe Colonel Cooper quoted it from somebody years 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 before him. I believe there's a ton behind that of truth. You get used to your optic, you get used to your round, you get used to your trajectory, you get used to your wind. Don't change it. Break the mold. I don't care what the caliber is. If it's seven millimeter rim mag, keep it. You can load for varmint all the way to elk with a seven millimeter, you know, super light and fast and flat which we know will fail us downrange for distance fast and flat is great, but the light bullet's going to get pushed around. Um, and it's potentially less BC ballistic coefficient. Anyway, don't want to go off in too deep of a hole here, but, um, we've had everything from 270 to 223. Um, I mean, it, you're that's that's going to be less efficient than a 243 it's very difficult for the spotter to see the 223 trace and there is a time where trace is going to burn out it's going to start to go trans and subsonic it's it only gives you bullet trace when it's supersonic it has to be supersonic to give you uh, the the trace the vapor trail so um all of those things are important aspect. You really, the caliber depends on what's your mission. Mm -hmm. That is the best answer. If your mission is elk and you want to buy some insurance, let's say you're in grizzly country and you know, it's real rugged terrain, you know, drops off into uh, a place where it'll take you two days to get a bull out and you're in grizzly country. That's not good. That's a that's a disaster waiting to happen, and long range is shortened in grizzly country. I will promise you, Trent and I were talking about that while we were there. We were there together. Um, it's an epic, epic trip um, with my brother and and Denise was there with us, and and then uh, Tom and and uh, Tyler were there in another team. Um, epic trip, but. You know, I was thinking, hey, 600 yards, that's probably it in grizzly country. I want to be able to get to that elk and and claim it as quickly as possible. I don't need to be killing an elk across the canyon that's going to take a two-hour horseback ride. And I get there, and un, unbeknownst to me, a grizzly has already, um, you know, claimed the area. And now we've got to fight, and it's a, it's a bad deal. It could cost a life. So um, grizzly country is a whole nother deal, but it depends on your mission. For me, 300 PRC, 300 wind mag for years for elk. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, a 270 has killed tons and tons of elk. We've had alumni. There's tons of opinions there, and I'm not one to um, debate those highly. I, I believe it's the um, it, it's the kill zone, you know, just like a bow and arrow. If you can stick a bow and arrow in it um, at 280 foot per second, then you can kill it with a 223 as well. You know what I mean? I mean, if we really put the facts out on the table and the theories aside, you're putting a, a small diameter arrow through it at a, you know, of course it has razor blades on it to open up plumbing. 
but you get my point. If you yes, put it sir. in a vital area, double lungs, it's going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, the lungs are going to collapse. Um, but we want it to be as ethical and as an easy. We know that the animals we hunt, if we don't harvest them, they're probably going to die a gruesome death of old age, starvation, no teeth, or a mountain lion um, eating from the hind quarters in, or a wolf, or a grizzly. So we want it to be as, and I'm, I'm speaking, <clears throat> this is one voice here, right? It's one voice, all of us together, collective. We want it to be a clean harvest and animal expire extremely quickly. Um, so that's what that's what our goal is. So choose the caliber that suits your needs. So yeah. so that's my answer to that. with with right caliber right. that suits your needs, right? That that comes into training, proficiency, time behind the weapon, understanding that caliber. So you know, as as much as I love my bow, I'm kind of a gun nut, right? So, but one of the things <laughs> I don't like to do is I don't like to mix a bunch of calibers, right? I want to, you know. I like to have 40, right? I like my 40 and my 45s, right? But I'm not, I'm not going to go and buy a 10 mil and a nine and then have boxes of each. I'm going to, if I like, you know, a Glock 22, I might like, you know, I like, I want the compact version of that, right? Grab my 17 out. Exactly. Right. And and maybe, you know, change the size of my weapon, but I'm going to shoot the same caliber. Uh, My 45s in the same way. Right. It, it, I I don't have a wide range of, of, of weapons because I like sticking with the caliber. You understand how it shoots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, rifles. I only have a couple. I got my 30 out six. I got my seven mil rem mag. I got my cowboy gun, um, you know, but, but my lever action, I mean, you're talking, you know, that's just fun, right? They're cool. I think I've taken it out in the field maybe two or three times hunting. Uh, it's a 200-yard gun, right? Um, not very proficient. I'll take it out pig hunting. I don't really take it out for much more. So I think, you know, sticking to that caliber is huge for me. And then that, you know, goes into what, what Denise is going to talk about, your grain weight um, and understanding grain weight and how that affects the hunt as well. So Mrs. White yeah so I, that's probably not my expertise area well but there's but there's a reason <laughs> I right but there's a okay so I'm gonna let you crack at it but there's a reason I'm asking you and I'm not asking Brian okay so my my opinion would be on on grain weight kind of goes along with the caliber and everything else I think there's different types of of bullets that can do different things um you know if you go with the hornady um eldx compared to the hornady eldm they supposedly have different functions a match compared to a hunting round um from what i completely understand about what are you looking for buddy charger i need the charger oh ron's dying poor ron he's dying um you know, I, I know that you're, you're going to want, when you get to longer distance, that heavier bullet is going to fly more more proficient farther. The last thing we want it to do is to lose umph because we choose a lighter grain. Um, we want that impact on that animal to be as, as hard as it's going to be to, you know, harvest and do it an ethical kill on that animal. So that grain weight is, is important. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love for somebody like Brian and, and Trent to put in their expertise on that. So, so Brian, on me, guy, on that. that's okay. Well, but the, the reason is, is 
I'll, I'll explain it later. So, Brian, if you can okay. touch on, you know, momentum kinetic energy as it, in, in terms of, you know, what that does, bigger animal and, and why grain weight is important downrange. Sure. Well, you, you said it, kinetic energy. I mean, you want a large mass to, to hit that, that target area, uh, creating a permanent wound cavity to put that animal down in its tracks, not make it suffer. You want that ethical kill shot. So that smaller grain bullet, you know, it's going to create a smaller permanent wound cavity, therefore less blood, the chances of that animal falling as quickly, unless you get like, like Ron mentioned that double long or just that instant drop. But again, we want it. We're still talking about ethics and hunting and, and uh, so the kinetic energy, the permanent wound cavity and the, uh, the, that round staying more efficient traveling down range to target is what we're looking for. So for me, right, I'm shooting the seven mil rem mag. And what I noticed, um, out past that, that brown buck wide vitals, right. When we started looking at the, the 10, 10 target, right. It was, it took a lot more for us to get that on target, um, out at that distance. That was 139 grain, uh, bullet there. Um, so it, it looked like the environmentals, in my opinion, the environmentals were playing or wreaking havoc on it a little bit more out at that distance. And what was, what was crazy to me is it wasn't, it wasn't that far apart, right? That, that deer was uh nine sixty four out to ten ten. but to see the effect, even in the calls there was like, man, that was, it was huge, right? It took, it was, you know, we were putting it, I mean, we were hitting the flapper three inch flapper. I think I hit it twice on qual day on that, on that buck. And it took Zach stepping in uh, on qual day to hit the small buff at ten ten. So it was, it was pretty interesting for me to see that, that difference in that grain weight that far out. I mean, you know, for me, our smaller deer here, like our coastal uh, deer, that that one thirty nine has been great, right? It's flat shooting, um, but I've had I've had a couple pinholes, um, and they'll it'll die fast. But it's almost like man shooting them with an arrow, where he's spraying out, and you know, two hundred yards later, there he is laying piled up. So I think for me, I think I'm going to up my grain weight and get him to that that one sixty range um, with with that seven mil. I don't know, well. I haven't helped hunted elk with it um with a rifle that that's that's a bow experience for me but i think i would i would even step it up to that what is that a 172 173 on that seven mil for elk um yeah or 180 so what you'll find too is the lighter rounds in theory are typically they group better at 100 yards than 180 grain um and a bigger animal that we intend to shoot at a longer distance, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be shooting a 200 grain bullet, not a light grain bullet. Uh, I, I want it to maintain a high BC in the air travel. So we need a heavier, which means a longer projectile. Um, and it, it, it bucks the wind better at distance where a light round does not. It's, it's proven you know proven theory but that's something where when we get into a theory you heard it in the class we'll tell you when we believe it to be fact and we'll tell you when we believe it to be this is our theory you prove it to yourself mm-hmm. you know we're big on that there's a thousand theories out there there are more ways uh to get this done out there there it's not just our way or the highway there's a lot of ways to get this thing done up there um 
but we're we're just preaching it from the heart from our experience heavier round is better for long range distance shooting yeah i saw it sure. that absolutely definitely... if, you, if you think about it from if you think about it from throwing a nerf football to an nfl football like you could throw those little nerf footballs pretty accurately but you can't throw them very far right but you can take an nfl ball and you can throw it twice as far mm-hmm because it's maintaining gyroscopic stability as it travels through the air. And that comes from the length as well as the mass. So the more bullet that it, the further it can go out and maintain that stability, the harder it's going to hit and the more accurate it's going to be. That's a great analogy. Um, so Trent, don't stop. We're going to, we're going to jump into optics, just a, a quick hit on optics. Um, you know what's what's in important in optics as we talk long range i mean there's some obvious ones but yeah um i think that you can break it down um it really like uh, the trick's going to be like ron said it's all mission specific so if your intended use is to have a hunting scope where you're gonna you want it to be a light scope uh, you want it to have good light draw, um, and you want to be able to have um, a specific reticle for, for what you're doing. Um, then those are all key factors. Um, as far as the weight goes, you know, I mean, there's, you can get a four and a half pound scope um, that, that may have better light draw, but it's four and a half pounds. You know, so you have to you have to take all these things in considerations because there's a lot of options out there. Um, as far as most scopes that are that are being produced nowadays, and, and I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the really inexpensive ones. I'm talking about you know your higher quality uh, optics, and let's say that um, it's a like a vortex, for instance. Well. The things that are critical to me are I want to have a good eye relief. I want to have um, I want to have to be able to adjust that ocular and it be crystal crystal clear when I look and see that reticle. Um, I want to make sure that my turrets are crisp when I'm turning them because when you're down that gun, um, even in hunting applications, I don't want to have to worry about uh, looking at that dial. I know. If I turn it, it's going to come up and you want to be able to feel those. So I can just count the clicks in my head, look up, verify, and I maintain my eye. Uh, what's critical about the eye relief and, and um, your eye being center of that, that ocular, um, if, if you're not center of that ocular, you're inducing parallax. Okay. And that's parallax, um, meaning that your perceived target is in relation to your crosshairs. Okay. Um, the other parallax side is actually on the, on the, the dial of the scope itself. And, and that's where you're actually adjusting it within the optic itself. Um, I think that these are two things that, you know, people need to, to understand and 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 just coming through a class like this will familiarize you you enough to where you feel comfortable in turning those knobs and understanding exactly what they're doing right um, when you're adjusting that ocular there's a reason why we're doing it 
a lot of people don't know that you should take a white piece of paper and put it in front of your optic while you're adjusting that ocular. And what you're doing is you're just adjusting the clarity of the crosshairs themselves to be nice and crisp and they don't flare on the ends and there's no wave. And, and then you tape that down. You never have to adjust that because somebody may plop down behind you and turn it. And then all of a sudden you plop down, you can't get it back to most people just don't know that that's what it's there for. So, um, other factors are, um, but as far as the weight side, um, I'm I'm the fool that took a 21 pound uh, 300 wind mag to Wyoming my first year when I went elk hunting, <laughs> so I'm probably not the one to ask on that. Um, I learned from my mistakes. He, he can he can carry it, brother. I, I carried it all the way and every day. Well, I loved it. It was my baby. It still is my baby. There's some value in that. Safe queen. There's some value in that weight. I mean, I I prefer a, a weapon that's on the heavier side. Um, you know, my rifle is sitting right around 12, 13 pounds, right? And, and yeah, folks, my buddies will grab it and be like, oh, my God. I'm like, man, it's it's purposeful for me, right? Um, if that thing was super light, uh, super short barrel, it, it's not, in my opinion, it's not as capable. And I can't even imagine having that round that I'm shooting going through this little light gun. I mean, like I said, before I put my, my brake on there, I mean, my muzzle climb was, I'm, I'm going to say four to six inches. There was no right. staying on target with that thing, right? It coming up, it don't mean it's coming straight back down, right? Yeah. So I, I prefer a heavier weapon. I remember the days where, you know, I'm like this because I'm holding, <laughs> I'm holding right. that SOB down on top so it doesn't climb so high. No, yeah. so I think there's huge value now. Twenty one pounds. I mean, that's just that's gunner mode, but <laughs> that's a workout. But no, I think there's value in in you know, like you're saying, a balance and understanding what you what you got going there. Sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, it's it's very specific to your use and, and what your ergonomic, you know, fit is because that always seems to be very critical. Um, and I also think that, you know, no. the rings, people need – investing in a good quality set of scope rings is a must. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll spend a tremendous amount of money on an optic, but man, you need to be able to lock that dude down. And, and nothing will break your heart more than when you go to set up for a shot. You realize that you see two of your set screws out, you know, or they're, they're basically loose and it's wobbling around up top. Well, you're talking about that, you know, what's my percentage of confidence on this shot that I'm setting up for, that would kill it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want that to happen. And a lot of that has to do with the optics, too. I mean, we've all dropped optics. I mean, I know I've broken a couple. I've dropped a couple on the interstate recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it happens. Um, yeah, I had a bad week. But, I had an optics box that had some optics. So anybody picks up an optic box, then Merry Christmas, because it slid out of my, out of back of my truck oh, on the interstate no. doing about 85 at uh, 9.30 at night. So somebody got some custom knives and a couple of optics. But. Sir, um, uh, so first or second focal plane? Um, I'm a first focal plane guy because I'm 45. My eyes are getting a little bad. And I think it, you know, spent a lot of years spotting now. Um, but I, I like first focal plane. I, I, like, 
I like to be able to, to see that reticle um, when I really need to kind of zoom in on targets. Um, and I also like the illuminated reticle. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there's, there's nothing wrong with a second bulk plane scope. And most, most of the things that we're doing in these classes, um, you're not limited by a second focal plane scope at all. Um, and I certainly have several second focal planes on my hunt rifles. They're just kind of a, a go-to. Um, I don't need really high, high-dollar optics on some of those, but, you know, um, I'm just a big fan of first focal plane. I think once you go there, it's hard to go back. I don't know. Somebody else talk me off this ledge. Uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're on the right you know track. I mean? you just, it just having a first focal plane takes the variable out of it that yeah, you exactly. don't have to learn. Right. It just take it just decreases the variable. Um, That's what I needed. So if you, if you know that second focal plane and know what adjustments you need to make, then I mean, again, it's, it's just about knowing your equipment, but in a dynamic situation where your heart rate's, you know, going 180 beats a minute and you've got eight seconds to make that shot, do you want to have to remember what power setting do I need to set this scope on to for my hold at 500 yards to be true? As opposed to the first focal plane, I know that my hold is 4.2 mils. I'm going to hold it and I'm going to send it and drop that animal. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know that I've ever considered taking a shot knowing that my holdover in my magnification i I think it was just beyond my capability at at that point you know because i mean that would be like 800 900 yards wouldn't yeah next out and i would like to touch on the the rings that trent touched on you know there's different heights they're short medium and tall or high and objectively, you want to have that objective lens as low to the um, barrel as possible because that takes your cheek off the cheek comb. Um, you have to raise your cheek comb. The higher your rings, um, the bigger the objective lens, you are, you're having to have a cheek change on your cheek weld. And with a um, out-of-the-box gun that doesn't have adjustable cheek rise, um, you're, you're going to have to fix that if, if you know to do that, or you're going to be holding on your, on your, not on, not on the optimal place on your face, um, or you're having to move around a lot. Hopefully um, we'll have consistent shots at that point. Exactly. And like we talked about in the class um, guy, the anchor, we used archery terms of an anchor. That stock weld is an anchor and it needs to be the same forever. It doesn't need to change ever. So, good stuff so that brings us into something so what in my naivety right i mean we brian if you could talk about it talk about parallax right because my naivety maybe not everybody else's but parallax to me has always been that that you know black shade here the black shade there or you know if i'm really good with my parallax it's you know a circle around the whole inside of the scope but there's there's also parallax when we get out at distance and where that reticle is in relationship to our target, um, which I didn't even, I had no idea, man. Yeah. So I mean, parallax, you're basically just trying to get your, your reticle on the same focal plane as your target. And I mean, that analogy most time just goes over people's heads. Uh, Ron, Ron has his analogy that you heard, you know, with, with spearfishing and, and being closer 
to the water to throw off. But basically what you'll see with, with parallax, if you're, if you don't know about it and you're checking it, the easiest way to do it is line your, your rifle up on target, your reticle up on target, back up off the scope and, and move your head, um, you know, left, right, up and down and see if that reticles, if, if it's bouncing in that scope. If it is, and you start taking some, you start adjusting your parallax until that reticle settles on target to where I can move my head around and, and the reticle's not moving. It's just staying steady on that target. Um, again, without getting in too far into the weeds, that's just one way for a shooter to check. Cause I mean, most people don't know, um, to check for that. They want to, they think that that's another knob. I'm going to use it as a focus. And a lot of times it's referred to as a side yes, focus. Um, and that, that does, you know, help give your reticle, get you a clear reticle or a clear sight picture at times, but you may still have, have some parallax in that scope. And it makes a difference as we transition. If we, if we adjust our parallax or take the parallax out of the hundred yards, and then we go back to 400 yards, you need to check your parallax again, because you're going to have a little bit of a change there. And if that change, if you apply the best fundamentals in the world, your wind call is perfect then you're still, your, your groups are going to be spread out. You fire a three round group, they'll adjust that parallax, you know, where you may have had a, a minute of angle or a four inch group of 400 yards. It may have spread out to 10 inch because you've got parallax in that scope. You're not seeing the same side picture with every single shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was uh, something else for me. And then when you get down in the scope and you do it and it was just like, wow, Right. Another that was another light bulb, another, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Diddly moment for me uh, when I did that, because I that was the first like I said, you know, I just explained what what my view of parallax was. I didn't know anything but that. Um, so we're going to go round round the screen as I see y'all. Um, so, Denise, I'm going to start with you and let's talk briefly um, cause it can be a, another two hours, but let's talk briefly, um, in terms of ethics when it comes to long range. And if you guys repeat the same points, right. in my opinion, value set and ethics are a personal thing. So if you guys could talk about, uh, ethics and what it means to you in long range hunting, right. Cause tap and steal, it doesn't matter as long as you know what's behind the target and it's a safe shot. So Denise, if you could start us yeah, there. That's, that is such an awesome topic. Um, and it's a topic that is, is like you said, different for everybody. Um, before we hunt, we talk about our ethical limit, um, how we're feeling at that moment. But I think being an ethical hunter, really no matter the distance, is putting the time needed to know and, and completely be intimate with your weapon of choice, whether it be archery or, or a firearm. You should know its capabilities. You should know your capabilities and its limits and your limits. 100 percent um and and i think that you know there are some long range everybody's long range is a little different too what they consider long range um but what ron touched on it it's the environment as well are we in grizzly country are we in in um, you know just depending on where we are but for me personally is where i feel like um i can if Ron's not there, we always hunt together, but if he is not there and I'm having to call my own wind, be my own person as a hunter, I want to know in my heart of hearts that I'm going to ethically take that animal without any harm. 
um, things happen. It, 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 everybody's harmed an animal and we have to live with that. It's just, it's never a fun story to, to live that. But ethically, it is in our own gut of what we think that distance is. Um, you know, Ron, Trent, Hunter and I have all taken long shots. That wasn't our goal. Our goal was never that. That was the opportunity and the moment was right. The environment was right. Everything was right about that. But when I shot my elk, I practiced and I did my homework and my due diligence every moment I could to make sure that I was going to do the best by that animal that I possibly could. Um, and long range, I think one of the ethical parts of long range hunting is the animal typically does not know we're there. So there's no adrenaline, there's no running, there's no racing. We're not spooking them. Um, I'm not run. I'm not typically shooting at a, a running animal because I spooked it. It's calm. Um, it's, I don't know. It just, it kind of makes me feel a little bit better at hunting long, longer range, just because I know that that animal is at peace when I'm, he just doesn't know I'm there. So I think that adds to that ethical part of it. Yes, ma'am. Trent. Well, I mean, I think ethics really comes down to, to what's important to me. Um, and, and where, and, and really, I, you know, it, it, you asked that question, it's pretty interesting because I've never really had to convey it to anybody. Um, but if I've got, I've got my shooting partner or my, you know, my, let's say Ron, like when we went to Wyoming, he, he's right there with me. Well, my level of confidence is, is pretty high. I mean, what you say? I mean, so we got that going for us. Um, but there's all these other factors that, that I constantly are assessing. Um, you know, have I spent the time at that elevation in that environment to, to really dial my, my rifle in, know what my ballistics are, understand what my come-ups are in this environment, what the DA that I'm measuring constantly, and, and what it does throughout the day. I may go to that range once in the morning, once at noon, and once in the evening. But in this maybe three or four days before a trip, but I'm doing that to build in that confidence and to collect data. Because the more of the data that I can collect, and the more I can wrap my my head around with what things I know that are going to be, um, you know, the sure bets, and um, and I'll start studying the wind um, and, and what it's doing. Um, the other things that, that I think are important, um, you know, that Ron brought up and Denise, if there's bears in the area, well, you know, that's certainly a consideration when it comes to distance on, on ethical shots, um, much less a caliber, because I, I want to know that yeah, I can safely retrieve this animal and do it before it gets dark. Um, and when you look at, you know, you know, timber falls or uh, ravines and things like that, you have to consider those factors before you take that shot. So, you know, I think what happens is, is that if you were to look at it on like a chart throughout the day, in the morning, it's pretty high. And, and as the day goes on, and if there's weather that blows in, well, then now my, you know, my comfort level's dropping a little bit, and I'm taking all those things into consideration. But I think that's part of being in that moment, too. I mean, if you're in that moment, just like you are in a class, right? Well, you're, you were clued in, you were plugged in what's going on around you and nothing else around you is, I mean, you're not really, any of the outside uh, distractions, they're gone because 
then you don't question that distant shot. Or if you do, you know not to take it because if you're true to yourself, you'll go, man, I really can't read that win. I can read it right here, but I have no idea what's going on down there. And I see these two belts coming this way. And obviously it's pushing hard because I can see some wind come, you know, you have to really take all these things into consideration and to, and to, to kind of give you a value of what your, of your uh, hit probability is going to be. Right. Um, so to me, I, I, I just, it, it changes, it changes constantly and, and you just kind of track it. And there's, there's times when you, I mean, Ron and I are laid down next to each other and we're staring at an elk and I don't remember what that distance was, but we're sitting there going pew, 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 pew. And we could have shot it 10 times, but it was just great knowing that you, you had put all this stuff together and it's like, all right, check. Nope. Moving on. It was the same joy and uh, value that I got out of that. And it just didn't have the meat take home. You know, you said something there, you said something there and, and I found huge value in it, right? That, that it's an ever moving target. So I'm going to, I yes. mean, honestly, I'm going to take that, right. And we're going to coin it right now that, that an ethical shot is an ever moving target. I mean, it, that, yeah. that is hugely profound when we, st when we talk about ethics in, in any type of shooting, that's a moving target, right? All those things you said to take in consideration. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah. But, and, and, you know, thinking about, um, archery, I mean, I'm sure that it's all applicable. I mean, it's every facet of this, it's yes, just sir. in a different range and different it's slightly different equipment. 110%. So, uh, Mr. Wright, go ahead, buddy. So I think Trent's spot on. And, and as he was talking about the ever-changing uh, environmental conditions, I'm thinking about how the wind last October whipped up to 60 miles an hour and the whiteout, we could see the whiteout coming. And our hopes of the big... 380 bull that we put the bed up there were dwindling away you know as the days went by and and um exactly right i mean at that moment i guarantee you because you know now we're partners out there he and i are right next to each other and denise was with us a lot of the times too we're a team and you know me i'm big on team i know those guys are too um now it's a team decision for me, it is. I'm huge on team. Now, I'm the one pulling the trigger. If an elk comes around and Trent's not with me, yeah, that's my decision. But if I'm laying there with my teammate, I'm going to ask his opinion for sure. Um, why not? That's just another source, another resource. But I can tell you right now, just while he was talking about uh, uh, talking about that, sorry about Blue whining in the background here. He's wanting to go for a walk bad. Um <laughs> But in, anyway, I was I was imagining those moments, and I will guarantee you, my 750 yard um, ethical limit went way down, way down real quick as the wind got up to 15, 18, 20 miles an hour. Now 30 miles an hour. I'm thinking, uh, you know, 400 yards. You know, um, it, it it just that's a perfect way to coin it is right where Mr. Anderson left. Yeah, I think so. I'm right there with him. Go ahead, Brian. All right. So, uh, I just, you guys are talking, I'm trying to write step down cause I'm 
I'm getting old like everybody else on this and forgetting stuff. But, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, hunting used to be, it, it was a way of life. Like you learned to hunt or you didn't eat. I mean, now it's, it's become to where, I mean, it's a privilege to, to be able to hunt and to fish and, and whether you do it for the, the sport or to feed your family or whatever, but, uh, it's still a, a conservation type deal for, for a lot of people who hunt and fish. Um, so you, you have to, you have to make ethical shots. You have to, or you're, you know, even if you're fishing or whatever, use the right type of base, you follow the rules of the law. Um, you're not out there just wounding animals to where the, the people that are attempting to stop the use of firearms for hunting or hunting in general, um, you know, you, you have to be ethical in all aspects of that. And again, that, that is following the, following the laws and following the conservation efforts and the rules of the state and, and, and putting those animals down where they need to be to where they're not suffering. Yes, sir. I mean, that, that's, you know, that I think all of us would agree that that's the biggest, right? Is, is that animal not suffering? And I think everybody has said it at a point. I mean, that's, that's huge. But what I appreciate about, appreciate about, you know, this, this conversation and the ethics part of it is that, you know, we're at odds, right? If, if a guy doesn't know how to shoot long range, right? His, his set, his ethics, his value set is different. Well, there's not a problem Mm -hmm. that, you know, if if I had the proficiency to go take an animal out at twelve hundred and sixty yards, um, there's not a problem in, in in our ethics sets or our value sets being different. Uh, we have to understand, and just like Trent said, you know, it, it's it's really an ever moving target, right? And understanding that across the demographic, you know, whatever, however we hunt, right? I get it all the time. I have, it, I talk about taking an animal past forty yards with a bow, and I got a couple of friends that are going to call me every single time michael batiste and say what are you talking about right what are you talking about and and i'm fine with having the conversation until i'm blue in the face but it's my set right i'm i'm comfortable and i'm proficient with my bow out to certain ranges um you know hunting here at home our early season it's 80 to 120 yards i mean that is where we are going to draw down on a deer i mean that's just it is what it is right and i'm 110% confident in my ability to take that shot every single time. And there's been times where there's a factor that came up just like long range, a little bit too much wind gust coming in. Guess what I had to do? I had to draw down on it, right? Busted myself, lost the opportunity. Uh, You know, Trent said it the best, and I don't know how I've never thought about it until I heard it come out of your mouth, but it's an ever moving target. And I mean, that's, that's Mm -hmm. just perfect. So uh, we've been going for two hours and 12 minutes. Feels like it's been, about 35 40 yeah. minutes right it usually goes by pretty quick yeah i uh i appreciate the the heck out of all you um thank you guys for i mean just a phenomenal phenomenal weekend um out out at the uh the range you know the friendship um those those moments we all shared um you know denise and ron for taking us in and and making us part of your family at the uh, crawfish boil um, I could, I could still taste them bugs. That was so nice. That was, you know, feeding, feeding Ron, feeding Ron some, uh, some, some crawdaddies, some mug bugs there. That was awesome. We had a couple moments there, buddy, but no, I appreciate you guys. Thank you greatly. Um, 
Ron or Denise, if you guys would uh, please drop where folks can find you if they have any questions about DR Long Range and the courses offered and the schedule. Um, why don't we let them know if they have questions, how to get a hold of you as well. Sure. Sure. Thank you. Um, very active on Facebook and we're learning Instagram quickly uh, with guys help. He's helping us out on that too. Um, and it, the website, you know, the website will give our phone numbers. Give us a call. Uh, the website is just Google D period R period long range concepts. And you'll see our website. Um, give us a call. We do have, it's very rare this time of year to have open spots this is just one of those years with the ammo crunch, but we, we're going to have a small July class. We have open spots there. I don't expect to fill those prior to the July class, which is about four weeks from now, Just fine. We'll rock and roll. It'll be a lot like a private class. Um, it'd be awesome. But then the August class has spots open, which is very rare. And September does as well. So it is what it is. Um, we'll rock and roll anyway and make it happen. So, um, we appreciate all you've done for us guy and your friendship more than anything as we've said before i can't wait for lr2 um we'll, we'll be talking about that shortly hey. thank you so much for your time yeah brother and don't forget the youtube because we're working on the youtube we're gonna start oh, uploading YouTube. start uploading That's some right. video to, to the uh, dr long range youtube so i will definitely put the links to dr long long range instagram youtube and website in the show notes again you guys i appreciate the time love you all trent i can't wait till the next class to shake your hand man man, and meet you um but you guys you you know i can i can say it but everybody will back me that was in the class you changed our lives and it's not just you know because we were better behind the rifle right it was it was an amazing experience um and, and our family grew across the board so thank you all Thank you, brother. We love you too, man. Yep. Guys, be safe. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.